This is a podcast of the Church at Indian Lake. Now, I'm going to talk today a little bit about preaching with authority. And at first look, you might say, well, I'm not a preacher. Why does this have application to me? But I want you to understand this is very important for you to, to realize and understand uh, because it could affect your life in several different ways. Some of you today are here because you're looking for a church. Others of you might be passing through town and you're looking for a church in another city. Others of you, someday you'll be in a situation where you will be looking for a church and to sit under preaching with authority is a very important concept for you to have because the type of preaching you sit under and the type of authority you do sit under greatly alters your view of God, your interpretation of the Bible, and it affects your worldview. And the premise of my message today is there's a difference between a great speech and a great talk and a skillful sermon, and there's a difference between those three things and any other way you want to describe them, and anointed, authoritative preaching from the throne of God. Some of you will be in a position someday uh, where either you're going to be on a church board or you're going to be part of a committee that's going to be looking for a youth pastor or looking for a pastor. And it's important that you understand this concept and understand why it's important. It's also very important for us as a church body to look at the Scripture to create expectations. Because if we don't, we all have separate expectations of what is to happen when the Word of God's preached, uh, then we're not on the same page. So this will have benefit to us for many ways. And on a personal level, here's how it's going to benefit me. Here's how it's going to benefit Pastor David. We forget sometimes. We, we hear from Pastor David three or four times a year in this setting, but he preaches 40 to 60 times a year because he preaches every Wednesday to the youth and another opportunity. So for Pastor David and myself, and for other speakers that are sprinkled through this crowd and, and other preachers and teachers who are raising up. It's a very important concept because you will know how to pray for us and pray that we would speak under the authority of God. So we're journeying, have taking a journey through the book of Mark. And in this, just quickly, we, we, we know that Mark, the fast-paced book, Jesus has already been baptized. He's had the voice of the Father confirm this is my son and whom I am well pleased. He's gone into the desert. He has conquered the enemy in the desert. And now the passage we pick up today, we're going to move ahead. Next week, Pastor David's going to talk about the, the calling of the, of, the, of the fishermen. But we're going to move ahead today to verse 21 because now Jesus is launching his teaching ministry. This is very important because in the book of Mark, 42% of the verses in the book of Mark have something to do with teaching. And Jesus, his ministry, was very focused on teaching. They called him rabbi. He was a great teacher. And the teaching of the word produces the spiritual life that we need. So we start out in Mark chapter 1, verse 21 through 28. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are part of the synoptic gospels, meaning they, they, they drew upon one another to tell the same story from a different angle. We're going to look at all three of these passages quickly. Verse 21 of Mark chapter 1. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. 
Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. 27. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. This is a very short account, but so you'll know this. Matthew 7, 28, I'll just read this. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. And look there with me at verse 29. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. It's very clear these passages are setting up a contrast between the way Jesus preaches and teaches and the way the religious leaders of that day. Lastly, we'll look at Luke chapter 4, verse 31 through 37. Earlier in Luke chapter 4, Jesus taught in a synagogue in Nazareth, but now he's teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. So this is the same story told from three different angles. Verse 31 of Luke chapter 4. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. And they were amazed at his teaching because his message had, there's the word again, authority. And in the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice, Ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, here it is again, what is this teaching with authority and power? He gives orders to the evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding areas. Let's talk a little bit about authority and what authority is. Because there's some things that authority is not. The type of authority I'm talking about here is not positional authority. It's not the type of authority that you throw out a title and you throw out your position and you throw out your name and then people have to listen to you. There's something greater in the authority that this scripture is talking about. Authority here is not talking about preaching style. Because if we were to take a survey in here, we all have different styles of preachers we like. Some of you like a very intellectual presentation. Others of you like enthusiasm, and you like passion, and and volume, and spit, and all of that kind of stuff. Authority is not, speaking of volume, volume. It's not the, the level of your decibels that determine what your authority is. Authority comes from the Holy Spirit empowering and anointing a message from God that lines up with the will of God. And it could be, it can come in various styles, and it can come in various settings, and it can come in different ways, but there's something distinguishing, there's something different. When you hear a sermon, when you hear a teaching that's anointed of the Lord, that's set apart by the Lord, when you hear a teaching that is communicating the heart of God, you just know it. You just 
feel it, and the people felt it. The people asked one another, what is this? This is different. This is unique. This is something that we're not used to. And so it is. Jesus chose to launch His ministry. He had been prepared. He had been confirmed by the Father. He had gone into the wilderness, and He had conquered the enemy. And He chose Capernaum, which is a very interesting city to choose. Because Capernaum, even though it was there in Israel, it was not necessarily the most religious city. It didn't have a great religious testimony. It certainly was not his hometown. We know that in his hometown he wasn't even received as he should have been. But he goes into a synagogue. And let me just give you a couple of teachable points before we move into the practicality of all of this. The synagogue is very different from the temple because the synagogue is a teaching institution. The temple, there was only one temple. One temple in Jerusalem, and that was a place of worship. That was a place of sacrifice. The synagogue was a place of teaching. And there were multitudes of synagogues. In fact, there were synagogues all over the world. If you begin to look at Paul, whenever Paul went into a city, he started to teach in the synagogues. I've identified just at least eight cities outside of Israel that Paul went to the synagogue and he began to teach. Because here are some characteristics of the synagogue. Three things happened in the synagogue. They had prayer, they read the Scripture, and then somebody interpreted the Scripture. There wasn't sacrifice, there wasn't worship. There wasn't one particular teacher or pastor that was assigned to that synagogue. They would rotate whoever was in charge. And whoever was in charge, he might pick someone out of the crowd and would say, would you come and read the passage and explain it today? And that's precisely what happened to Jesus earlier in Luke chapter 4. So if a man had a new message, and Jesus did, if a man had a new teaching, and Jesus did, the synagogue would be the first place where he would go. And so it was with Jesus. He came out of temptation, and he went to the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, as I already told you, was not necessarily the most spiritual place. In fact, if you go to, um, um, let me find the scripture here, thank you, Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 23, Jesus warns this very city that he launches ministry in. It says, And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Capernaum was the very city that could be considered the headquarters of where Jesus' ministry was and where it was based and, and, and where he would teach from. Yet, here's the interesting thing about it. In this synagogue, we see from the Scripture, this demon-possessed man sat there week after week, hearing the Scripture read, hearing the Scripture explained. And he, as a demon-possessed person, was quite comfortable. And what a sad, sad commentary on that gathering of believers at that time, of that gathering of people. And during the teaching of the Word, they were spiritually lukewarm. One of the things that happened is they were taught by religious leaders called scribes. And I want to explain this to you because the, the Scripture clearly is setting up a contrast between Jesus and the scribes. One had authority and one did not. The Jews, they held the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, as the basis for every single thing in life. Every answer for every problem in life had to come out 
of the Torah. But here was the issue. As you know, many times, even as you and I study the Bible, we, we get inferred doctrine and we, we come to conclusions and we establish rules. But being contemporary in contemporary times, not every single issue is addressed in the Bible. We like to say it is and we like to think it is, but we have to find the heart of God and understand, you know, the, the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt go to a movie theater or thou shalt not. It just doesn't say that. We have to make our decision based off the character we find. There's, there's tons of stuff that, that, you know, does the Bible say anything about whether or not we should speed? We should break the speed limit? Because all of us think it's okay. Most of us. In fact, we buy little machines, you know, and, and I've been that guy too. I round the corner, you know, flash the lights, tell somebody else there's a speed trap coming. Now, the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about speed traps. And so, so you know, we're, we're kind of finding God's heart and making some decisions for ourselves. Well, back to, back to the scribes, what they would do, because they were so dogmatic, every answer is in the Torah. Everything is in the Torah. They began to come up with an oral tradition, an oral tradition that they would come up with every rule in life, and they would study the Torah, and then they would make the decision on all of these extra rules. So when they would speak, they would never, never speak out of their own authority. They would always quote a teacher. They would say, it's been said by this teacher. And they would give a rule. And then it's been said by this teacher. And they would give another rule. Jesus came into that synagogue and he began to speak out of his own authority. He began to speak out of his own heart. He began to speak in a way that was different, in a way that was unique, in a way that grabbed the attention of the listeners. But let me move this forward to contemporary times and how, how this could apply to you and me because I'm a little bit concerned about, about preaching today. I work with some younger ministers. I know I'm a young minister myself, but even younger than me, um, uh, church planners, people who want to be in the ministry. And uh, as we talk about things, here's something that I often hear. I ask people, tell me about your preaching. Tell me about your teaching. And this is a response that I often get. It's fun. I like to speak because it's fun. Or they'll say, I enjoy speaking. I'm like, why are you a pastor? You know, why, why do you want to go plan a church? Well, I really like speaking every week. And there's some truth to that. I, I mean, I won't lie to you. This is a gift the Lord's given me, and the, the fact that for 30 minutes you have to listen to me, pretty cool, captive audience. You guys are so encouraging to me, and, and, and I need that, and I appreciate that. So there is an element of enjoying being a public speaker, and I always have enjoyed being a public speaker. I used to MC stuff, and when I was in high school, I didn't see the banquet. And anytime I could grab a microphone, I'd grab a microphone. I just like speaking in front of people. But the issue here is this, is preaching with authority is not just an enjoyable experience. I mean, this is not a talent show here. Okay, this is a life-changing experience. When you open up the Word of God and you represent a church and you proclaim the Scripture, you don't do it for personal intrinsic fulfillment. You know, there's a measure of that, that, that the things we enjoy, God confirms in our lives. So there is a measure of that, but on the overall experience, that it goes deeper than that. Now, I'm going to tell you a, a little um, tip when it comes to public speaking for those of you who want to do it. 
someday. One thing you never do when, you, when you're public speaking, you never are supposed to tell a story about yourself in which the outcome is positive. Uh, because nobody wants to hear about you hitting the home run that won the game. What they want to hear is when the ball went between your legs and, and you messed up. I mean, and that's just a secret. Nobody wants to hear you brag about yourself. They, they would prefer uh, to hear um, stories that are a little bit self-desecrating. So, um, and that, so I'm going to tell you two stories. I'm going to break my own self-demeaning for the next day. I'm going to tell you uh, two, two uh, stories. That, that have positive outcomes, but they're specifically to illustrate a point and they're breaking my own rules. I want to tell you about two speeches I gave. The first speech is this. When I was uh, in high school, uh, me and my friends decided to run for the student body offices, and one for president, one for secretary, one for treasurer, and I was slotted to run for vice president. And I looked at my competition, and I had no chance to win because this was a, there was, I was running against a very popular girl, she had a great personality. She was very attractive. Everybody liked her. And I remember my buddies telling me, man, you are not going to win. So I crafted up this little speech. And I tried to be like a, a Jay Leno or David Letterman. I wrote a bunch of jokes, and I really worked on it. And I went and I tried it out for them. And I would get the punchline and kind of wait. And my buddies did not laugh at all. And they just said, Aaron, this is going to be bad. This is going to be horrible. But it, I went for it anyway. Well, I gave the speech, and I gave the speech, and I'll just tell you that it went better than I ever could have imagined. I mean, to this day, it was my greatest public speaking performance because people were laughing, and, and when the speech got done, I mean, people I didn't know were giving me high fives and all this kind of stuff, and I ended up winning that particular election. And, and can I tell you, it felt good. It really did because, you know, I got a lot of glory from it got a lot of acclaim, got a lot of, to this day, occasionally I'll talk to someone and they'll even bring up that speech. And uh, there's a video somewhere, and uh, I still hide that video, but, uh, but it'll be a great memory. So that's one thing. In that same time period, just two or three years later, I was, at the last minute, was asked to speak at a large youth group. God took me to a scripture in Revelation, a very simple scripture that said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in, and, and, and many of you know the scripture. The scripture was on my heart. It was burning on my heart. I got up there. I didn't tell any jokes. Nobody laughed. Uh, there were no illustrations. I read the scripture. I shared the heart of God. Convictions were so thick in that room. And the Spirit of God began to move on people. And people prayed and responded to salvation. And there was a in the spirit realm, there was a breakthrough. And people were so focused on their spiritual life, and they were so focused on spiritual growth that when that time of prayer moved on, do you know that no one really even remembered that I spoke? They didn't remember. Because after that speech, my talent and my ability was not to talk. The talk was how great is God and how great is His presence. Two different speeches. One, I enjoyed more because of the things it brought to me. One, that nobody remembered. God remembered. And he knew. Because there was an authority on that preaching. And there was, there was a, a Holy Spirit anointing 
on that message. Now, I say all of that because there is a difference between a great speech and an authoritative sermon from God. There's a difference between an enjoyable, entertaining teaching and experience and an anointing from the Holy Spirit. And if you are just, if you either as a speaker or a listener are only listening to be just entertained, not that there's anything wrong with that, or you're only listening just to make yourself feel better, then you might be missing the power of God to change your life. Because there is a word coming from the Lord. There's a word coming from the Lord through His servant that may sound different than what we're used to and what we prefer but it flows from heaven. And in these last days when sin is bombarding us, in these last days when God is wanting to prepare a holy and, and pure bride in His sight, maybe we need to listen more to what we need instead of to what we want. So I charge you, those of you who are speakers, those of you who enjoy speaking, those of you who enjoy public speaking and think it's fun to teach and preach, I'm glad you do, but can you take the depth a little deeper and say, God, I don't want to just be a good speaker. I want to speak in the authority of your power and your name. For those of you who are in a position that you're going to be looking for a pastor to sit under, you're going to be part of a team that makes a decision on a pastor teacher, would you look beyond maybe what the world looks for? Would you look beyond just the all the other sons of Jesse and realize that there might be a kid out in the shepherd field that God has put favor on. There might be someone who's overlooked, but they have God's heart to speak His word. Write these two things down. I'm just going to give you two points today so we can remember this experience together. Preaching with authority flows from heaven. Preaching with authority flows from heaven. In our text, Mark 1.22 says this, The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Can I tell you, you can't, I, you can't get a word of God from God if every week you're downloading something off the Internet. Okay, Not that it's wrong to get tools and to get help, but you can't get a word from God if, if you're always dependent on someone else's Revelation. There, there's something fresh from the Lord. There's something that flows from heaven. There's something that comes down through the presence of God. And I guarantee you this. You can put a teenager up here who's been praying, and they will have more effect if they're operating on the power of God. They may stutter. They may say, uh, the, I don't know. But if they're operating in the power of God, they'll produce more life change from heaven than the most eloquent speaker that people would pay ticket master to listen to. Because there is something that flows from heaven that is greater than just normal skills. And that's where Jesus, Jesus received that approval from God because he separated himself. He separated and he prepared himself and he allowed God to touch his life. First Corinthians chapter 2. Paul said it this way, and it's such a, such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful scripture. He says, I came to you, this is verse 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. I came to you in weakness and fear, and with much trembling. Can we just pause a moment and think about that? I came to you in weakness and fear, 
and with much trembling. This is not pop star pastor. Okay? This is not marketable pastor. Weakness, fear, and trembling. Verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I appreciate my mentor. I appreciate the people whose shoulders I stand on this morning, who their influence in my life has made me who I am. But I am not counting on them. I'm not looking to them. I'm not standing on them. Can I tell you that? I've said it before, but I'll say it again. People of God, get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes off men. Don't rely on the power of man. Don't rely on the wisdom of man. Man will disappoint you. Man will let you down. A woman of God will fall short. But the presence of Jesus will never disappoint you. And the presence of Jesus will never let you down. And we rest in His power. And we rest in His ability to do something. You know, the most important thing that happens on this campus every Sunday is not my speaking. It's not these talented musicians. And it's not all of the wonderful things that children's worker does. But it's the small group of people that gather in this back part of the building and pray for the power of God and the approval of God and the divine flow of heaven to fall on this service. And there are people that are in this church that you may never know their name and recognize their face, but they have prepared the path for you to receive everything from God that you're going to receive in this room. And that is a beautiful thing because it's God's power. It's not my personality. It's not the church at Indian Lake's identity. It's not any of those things that we rely on. It is a divine flow of heaven, authoritative preaching and teaching of His Word that is going to change life. Here's the second thing, and I've already said it, but we're going to formally make this point. Preaching with authority changes life. Write it down. Preaching with authority changes life. And can we never forget that is why we exist. We exist for changed lives. We don't exist just to get our time in with God. And we don't just exist because of our earthly tradition. And we don't just exist because we have to go to church here. We exist because there's a transformational power from God available to us. The passage says again, and read it with me again in Mark 1.23, Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There's so much in that passage there. When people who are possessed by evil spirits, when people under the control of the enemy, when they come into a church service like this, may they know who Jesus is. May they know His presence. May they know that there's something distinguishing us. May they know that this is not church as usual. This is not just another service. This is not just a cultural expression of Middle Tennessee. Because in Middle Tennessee, we're Baptists and we're Church of Christ and we're Assembly of God. And that's who we are. No, we are more than that. Those labels mean nothing. We are redeemed people. That we're, we were in sin, but we are free now. We were in darkness, but we're now in light. And what we do in this room means something. It means something significant. And, 
And as we go and we connect with people and we connect with relationships, many of you don't know we have something called the House to House Ministry that B.J. Christopher leads. And they're going out next Sunday. Wait, hold on. Are they going out today? Help me. Okay. And they're going to go out. And they're going to go out and tell people about Christ. Now, that might not be for everyone, but I just want to let you know that everyone can pray. Everyone can be engaged in that because things make a difference. And when, as we go out and as you begin to connect with people in your neighborhood and as you begin to connect with people in your job and you begin to invite people to church and when they come into this room and they encounter the presence of Jesus and just like the man that was possessed, they say, Jesus, we know who you are. We know who you are. Do you believe it can happen right here? Do you believe that those who are outside of God's family can know who Jesus is? And Jesus goes on and says, Be quiet. Come out of him. In 26, the evil spirit shook the man violently. He came out of him with a shriek. Authoritative preaching changed his life. Would you pray for me? Can I tell you that the Lord is doing a great work in my spirit right now? And that happens that your prayers for me make a difference. What God's doing is with Beth and myself. And I want to be a better pastor. And I want to be a better leader. And I want this church to reach its potential. I've had several people ask me lately, what's going on with the church at Indian Lake? And this is my perception. And, and, and hopefully I'm right because as a leader, you want to be able to proceed correctly. Everyone seems pretty happy right now. Now it seems like, man, we got a good church. We're doing okay. I don't know of any major conflict. I know the leadership board that I meet with, we're all getting along. Things are going good. The staff, we're all getting along. Beth and I, on a personal level, are so happy. We've got friends. And, and for the most part, everyone's happy. So here's the thing. Now, we have to create an urgency here that we can't just be happy and say, hey, this is great. Get a nice church here. Nice-sized church. I've even said that before. This is a nice-sized church. It's convenient. I get a parking place. I can get a place. I can hear the music go. But things are going to have to get inconvenient here if we want to reach the harvest for the Lord. Things are going to have to get inconvenient here. We're going to have to all make some sacrifices if we want God to do something. But would you pray for me? Because I'm believing that from this pulpit, me and David and our other speakers and the guests that we choose to come in, from, from this platform, our worship leaders, there's going to be a new authority, an authority from the Lord, that lives are going to be changed. That's what it's about. Lives being changed. It's not about you liking me and liking what's going on. It's about life change. That our family members and our friends and those who are outside of God's family. And then beyond that, what about us? What about us? What about you? What about you? What about the sin you've been holding on to? What about your lack of passion for Jesus? Life change for you too. Last week we, we all committed again. Let's spend time with the Lord. It starts with that. Spending time with His presence. Spending time daily with Him. He's waiting on us. He's waiting on us. Would you stand with me? This has been a Church at Indian Lake podcast. Be sure to check out IndianLakeChurch.com for all updated news and information.